Hey there, this is Joey. Thanks so much for listening to Dismantle Pod. We got a great episode for you featuring our guest Andy Zarimba. Before we get into that, just wanted to say thank you so much for listening and for your support. You know, we're a growing podcast and we'd love to uh, be able to reach more people and continue to create community. So if you're enjoying the podcast, I'd encourage you to share it with just one person today. Here we go with our new episode. That shared belief system makes it easier for people to trust one another. But the danger about it is that now it's like if people don't believe the same things, now it it becomes easy to dehumanize them. Welcome to The Dismantle, creating community, not converts. Hello and welcome to The Dismantle, a show for community, not converts. I'm your host, Joey. On this show, we attempt to dismantle or take apart an issue that has or has the potential to be problematic within the church by talking with guests who either have insight or experience with that subject. Now, if you're new to the show, we won't always agree, but we don't want to argue. We're trying to gain understanding and perspective by sharing our views in a way that builds bridges and not barriers. Our guest this week is Andy Zarimba. Andy is an entrepreneur from Vancouver, BC. He is the co-founder of Float House, a mind and sensory healing facility utilizing flotation therapy. He is a podcast co-host for Vancouver Real. He is the city director for Man Talks, helping to develop self-aware, high-performing, impactful men. A consultant, a public speaker, and mentor. Andy, welcome to The Dismantle. Thank you very much for having me. I'm really excited to get going today. So before we dive in, Andy, what's some of your background with spiritual stuff? Do you have a history with church or faith of any kind? You know, not too much. Um, when I was growing up, we definitely weren't raised in the church. We celebrated the the major holidays like Christmas and Easter and those type of things, but we really didn't have a, a, a practice or we didn't go to a church um, for pretty much all of my youth. I was involved with um, Boy Scouts and, and Cubs before that, where then there is sort of a, a Christian underpinning to a lot of what they do and discuss within those organizations. So I think some of it, some of those values and some of the meaning that you get from those type of organizations were sort of imbued in me at an early age. Um, but I really didn't start getting into uh, spirituality or religion at all until university. And funny okay. enough, um, I was actually dating a girl who, in my first year, freshman year down in the States at a small school just outside of Pennsylvania, and she was Catholic. So every Sunday, I started going to Catholic Mass with her, and that was my sort of first taste of really seeing what it was like inside of, uh, inside of the church. And I, I definitely, at first, I wasn't really sure what to make of it all. I could see some of the the benefits of you know giving people that moral grounding, something to really help them find guidance and help them through the tough times of their lives. So I could see value in it. And then after that, I would say I went to McMaster University. So I transferred out of uh, University of California, Pennsylvania, and went to McMaster University, where I finished up my degree in sociology. And it's interesting because. You know, being in Canada, uh, studying sociology, there is quite, uh, I would say, almost an anti-religion, a religious flavor within, especially that field. Mm. And there was a lot of talk about, say, the negative aspects of religion and some of the, the harm that it's caused throughout history, which is definitely extremely valid. Um, and I learned a lot about, say, um, you know, group identities and uh, in-group and out-group 
and and that sort of thing, which led me to 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 start thinking that maybe religion or faith was was bad and was wasn't wasn't healthy for people. Uh, and I started going to some more, let's say, esoteric practices and things like that. So I, I felt like there was this need for spirituality within my life, but I didn't really know how to fill it without religion. So I started diving into things like yoga and meditation, mindfulness. And lately I've been actually participating quite a bit in uh, shamanistic rituals down in uh, Peru. So I would say that's that's the basis of my spiritual background. and. And I think, you know, when someone starts diving down the question of, like, who, who am I and how do I live the best life, it starts to become difficult to not explore these sort of issues, like spiritual ideas, um, reaching your highest potential, and they start to become interwoven, I think. That's really interesting. Yes. So that would be my, I'd say that's my, my generalized background with, with faith or the church and religion or spirituality. That's really cool, Andy. Thanks for sharing that. No problem. So, you know, perfect segue right into what we're talking about. We're talking about purpose. We're talking about understanding self, who we are. Uh, and one of the quotes you have on, on your website, which I love by Dr. Jordan Peterson, is the path to paradise is through hell. And if you don't go there voluntarily, you'll go there by accident. Mm -hmm. Definitely. As anybody can tell you, it's the valleys that make the mountaintop meaningful in a way. And Andy, I think your story is no exception to that. Would you mind sharing a little of your journey for our listeners? Absolutely. You know, in my youth, I would say I was a bit more selfish and I was in it for me. I, I really wanted to, to enjoy life and, and have a good time. And, 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 and I'm not saying anyone shouldn't do that. I think it's important to to enjoy those aspects of life and go out and and go on vacation and and live it up, so to speak. But I really, you know, I didn't really realize how how deep you know <laughs> you can go in life until you know I kind of got smacked out of nowhere, and um, I guess you could call it chaos, just opening up its mouth and just engulfing my life for a few years. Hmm. And it kind of, and the thing about it is there wasn't really much I could do to prevent it. It just, it just sort of happened. And I think that's really interesting because a lot of people, they, you know, they, they don't want to embrace say the negative aspects of religion and spirituality, right? They, they want to be like all high and mighty, or they want to be follow, you know, this phrase, follow your bliss. And this is the way to spiritual freedom. But I don't necessarily think that's true. I think that really, you know, this is an expression I heard just the other day. You know, I think it was a Carl Jung expression. And he said that the reason people can't find God is because they don't look low enough. And I really think that's the case. And sometimes that low can manifest in different ways. It can manifest in personal strife. It can manifest in, say, the day-to-day -day mundane activities, right? But I think that, you know, my personal low wasn't necessarily, well, it was a low in terms of the amount of chaos that I was plunged into. And I have to go back to 2010 when, you know, my life got pretty chaotic. I had a, an unexpected pregnancy with my partner at the time who I didn't end up staying with and 
you know, there's a lot of turmoil and stress around that. And once we kind of decided what we wanted to do, moving forward, having the child, we were on uh, a vacation actually on our, our family property. And my partner actually, one morning at 4.30 a.m., went into seizures, like full-blown seizures. Oh and she God. was about 29 weeks pregnant or so. So still, you know, not really, right before the third trimester, basically. Yeah. And she started, well, basically, she, she woke up at 4.30 a.m. Her arm was curling out of control, like towards her face. And she had just enough time to yell out, Andy, my arm is seizing. And then I woke up and she went into a full seizure. She was foaming at the mouth, shaking violently in the bed and completely unconscious from that point forward. So fortunately, my parents were at the house and we were on a really small island in the middle of the Caribbean. So we didn't, you know, we didn't really think that calling an ambulance was the best course of action because we could get her to the hospital a lot sooner on her own. She was still breathing. So we're like, okay, let's get her into the vehicle. Let's bring her to the hospital. And we got there maybe like within 10 minutes max. Okay. And the whole time we're on our way to the hospital where, you know, I'm checking her pulse, just checking her breathing. She's still breathing. She still has a pulse, but she's completely unconscious. We're up at the hospital. We get her into emergency. There's only one doctor and one nurse on duty. And they get her in, do an assessment, and they find out she's uh, experiencing what's called eclampsia. And eclampsia is a strange, it's, you can't really call it a disease. You might want to call it more of a, a disorder, maybe, because they don't really know why it happens. But basically, the woman's blood pressure skyrockets. And the only solution to this problem is to deliver the baby. And at that point, the priority becomes to, to save the mother's life. And because the baby is so young and premature that it's, it's you know, it's, it has a low likelihood of surviving at that point. Right. So they made the decision to, to do an emergency C-section on the island to make sure that they could save uh, the mother's life. And they flew in a neonatal team and they delivered my daughter at like 9, 17 a.m. And she was born and she weighed 1.9 pounds. So just a tiny, tiny little thing. As soon as she was born, my partner at the time was air ambulanced to a hospital in Grand Cayman. And fortunately, in Grand Cayman, they, they had a full-blown hospital with an ICU. So she was well taken care of. And I was stuck on Cayman Brac, or the, yeah, Cayman Brac with my daughter, who was like this you know, newly born, 1.9 pound premature baby. Right. And there was one doctor and nurse, and they were uh, a neonatologist and a, a neo nurse as well. And they took turns basically breathing for her all day. They didn't have the proper ventilation equipment on the island. So they basically took turns uh, uh, res respirating for her. And uh, they did that for about 12 hours until we actually got her to a proper NICU and Grand Cayman. And, and uh, then she stayed there for the next two weeks. When she was stable enough, we flew her back to BC Children's Hospital in Vancouver, and we spent the next 10 months or so in that hospital. And it was just a roller coaster, right? It's like, yeah. you know, you're, you're really, the, the hardest thing about it is the lack of, I would say, consistency and in your routines and, and knowing what's coming. Because, you know, with a premature baby like that, they're very unstable. And you could go into the hospital one morning and everything's completely fine. And by that afternoon, they had caught some sort of infection. They're septic. Now they have to be isolated. They're on antibiotics. They're, they're, they're being uh, ventilated. And they're literally fighting for their life. So that went on for about 10 and a half months. And 
you know, luckily I had the support of, of my family who helped us with our business at that time and kept it going. And, and I would still work, you know, during the mornings and then basically in the afternoons and the evenings, I'd go into the hospital basically every day for 10 and a half months. I maybe missed two days in the hospital, but it was a, a very trying time. And the process of going through something like that is when you, you go through a process that's partially out of your control, but sometimes what you want to do is create what's called an internal locus of control, right? So that's something you can grab onto inside of yourself, which gives you some sort of control over the situation, which really helps you maintain your sanity when things get really hard, right? Yeah. So um, I think my, my internal locus of control was like, well, A, how did I get here? And B, how, do I, how can I manage this and make the best out of the situation the entire time? Right. So, you know, when you, when you go into the how did I get to this point in my life? I mean, you can go down that rabbit hole pretty far and you start assessing you know, the choices that you make and, and, and why they led you to where you happen to end up. And sure. that becomes quite a, a, an introspective process. And at that time, too, I was really delving into the world of, say, meditation, mindfulness, presence, a lot of Eckhart Tolle's work. And I use that as a tool as well, just tapping into general meditative techniques well in the hospital and as often as I could remember to help me get through that time. Because again, when you, when you can tap into the body through your breath and start down-regulating your central nervous system, it's going to bring your heart rate down, bring your blood pressure down, reduce the stress a little bit, bring the stress hormone levels down in your body, which is really important because when you're, when you're in a situation like that and you're sort of redlining it for a long period of time, it's going to have a lot of detrimental effects on your health, or at least it can, uh, right. you know, physically and mentally for sure. So you know, self-maintenance and preservation becomes really important at that time too because if you don't take care of yourself properly, there's a very good chance you're going to get sick. And right. then how are you going to help the person who really needs you? So you, there had to be this balance of really being there, but also making sure I took care of myself so I could go through 10 months in a hospital almost every single day, right? Taking yeah. care of my daughter. So, um, and I would say that I was on a spiritual path before that time, but that I would say expedited the entire process. Right. Mm. I started going into these questions about like, well, why me? Why did why did this happen to me? Why did this happen to our family? Why did this happen to my daughter? You know, how how come she has to struggle in all these different ways? And sometimes there's not really any good answers to that. But you know, when you when you can come to a place of acceptance around some of the things that you can't change and you just accept that this is just the situation you're in, you can find peace in that situation. And then once, I think, at least coming to that place of acceptance is a lot healthier than, say, being in a depressed state and, and a woe is me and just in that total victim mentality. So if you can get yourself to that place of acceptance, from there you can make positive headway. And now you start looking for little things like moment to moment, you know, minute to minute, hour by hour, day by day that you can grasp onto as as progress like you're, you're you're moving in a good direction you're moving out of a bad situation into a better situation and when you can get yourself to that place it definitely will keep your say mental health or your your uh, mindset in a much better space than if you just went down and, and became really depressed and a lot of people that happens to a lot of people when they're in right. situations like that 
a lot of people will turn to alcohol or drugs. Um, a lot of parents in the NICU would actually experience PTSD because, again, it's just, the, the swings are so great all the time and it's so random and, and, and it goes on for a long time. So everything that you can do when you're in a situation like that to, to keep yourself healthy and, and, and sane and, and, and uh, positive, I think, is going to really benefit somebody. And, and the truth about it is everybody's going to end up there sometime. Everybody will end up there sometime with a family member, a friend, themselves. And I think the question is, you know, how do you respond? Is there a roadmap that you have? Is there something that you can grasp onto when things get really, really tough uh, to help you deal with situations like that? It's fascinating, man. And, and not only like, listening to the story of it, knowing that's what you went through, but that you've found almost peace now and, and you're taking that and you're offering it to other people is just amazing. Right. You know, I really do believe that our pain can become our greatest gift to the world. Hmm. And when you learn how to mitigate and work through your pain and eventually hopefully heal from it, you can actually teach people, you can, you can teach others how to do that as well. Right. So, right. and I think it adds a lot of validity to it. You know, when you, you know, when someone's gone through a really tough time, who knows what it might be, they might be a war vet or they could be a drug addict or they could uh, have mental health issues or they could have, you know, just lost a loved one and choose and choose, choose your poison. Right. You know, when you go through something like that um, and then you come through the other side better, I really do think that's a place for you to share that with the world because guaranteed everybody's going to experience something like that at some point in their life. Yeah. Yeah. Now, shifting gears just a little bit, I think a lot of people within those trying times, especially, but just in life in general, really struggle with their purpose and understanding why they're here and what they're supposed to do in moments like that. And I think understanding our purpose directly correlates to how you see yourself and how you value yourself. Can you talk to me a little bit about that connection? Right. So understanding your purpose. The first thing that you have to think about to understand your purpose is, well, I would follow your pain again. I think that is a great way to find purpose within your life. So follow mm. that pain. Right? And what can you take from that and teach other people to help them overcome their pain, right? And, and it doesn't necessarily have to be like on a, on a huge scale either, right? If you're, if you're just out there sharing your life experience within your community or maybe you, who knows, start a podcast or have a blog going, you never know how what you're sharing, what you're putting out there is going to positively impact somebody, right? So you can right. turn that, that, that deep pain that you, you've gone through into purpose because, I mean, when people go through those experiences, they're going to look for someone who's been there. They're, and they're like, how did you cope? How did you deal with it? So I think that's an easy way to find purpose. But purpose is one of those things that I think is, is critical in order to live a happy and fulfilling life, right? I think, I think purpose is the thing that will keep you going when you're in a really tough situation like that. Purpose will keep you going for your career, for whatever it happens to be that you want to do in your life. And people who have that sense of purpose generally just do better 
and they'll they'll make an impact in their life. They'll have better health. They'll have better relationships. They'll have more meaning in their life. And I think purpose and meaning, if you want to combine those two, are actually much more important than, say, happiness. So, you know, people might confuse the two a little bit, but I think happiness is a bit of an emotional state. You feel good, euphoric, you know, you're, you're giggly, you're happy. That's great. Like, it feels good. But, you know, when things get really tough, I, it's, it's going to be hard to say, you know, you should always oh, be happy. Just be happy. And, you know, well, you're not happy. But you can ground yourself in purpose, right? So if you, if you have something that is bigger than yourself, right, something where you're giving back and, and, and you're not just focusing on you anymore, right? No matter what you're even going through, right? It, it will bring you to a much more positive space. In fact, it'll start working on the like incentive reward system. So, which is connected to the dopamine response. So when you start working towards your purpose and you start making strides towards that and you start making positive headway, just little steps, right? You're going to get rewarded little, little hits of dopamine. You're going to start feeling good which mm-hmm. is going to reward you and help you continue along that path of purpose. Now, the beautiful thing is when you start making those steps and start having those small wins, it will actually start acting on the serotonin system as well, which will actually help you become more confident. Now, as you become more confident, you also not only become more confident, you're displaying, you're having these small wins, you're making positive headway and momentum in your life. When you get on that path, you're actually going to start attracting new people and new opportunities into your life as well because they're going to be like, wow, this guy, something's working for him right now. And people, people will just gravitate towards that. So it will start to snowball. And that's why success can sometimes become exponential. You start off slow and you're spinning your wheels for a while. But if you can keep setting those small goals, like incremental progress over time, Eventually, you're going to start getting some wins. And when you start hitting those wins, it's going to start amplifying the effect of, of positivity in your own life, which is going to attract new opportunities, which, again, gives you more opportunities to be successful. And you can, you can spiral up really, really quickly. And if you do have that sense of purpose, let's say it's a really big sense of purpose, the steps that you take towards that are going to be even further amplified because you're going to be rewarded intrinsically and biochemically based on how big your vision is, right? right? So if you make steps towards that vision, you're going to actually have all that, all those positive reinforces flood in while you're working towards it. So you're going to start feeling amazing. You're going to start being more positive. You're going to have better health, better mental health. And I think it's one of the more critical aspects that, that people can miss. And, um, but it, the funny thing is, it's actually not that hard to, to come about if, if, if you're really looking for it. Hmm. Now, speaking of that and purpose, uh, I believe it's on your website that your purpose is facilitating the expansion of human consciousness <laughs> worldwide. Yeah. Is that correct? Yeah, that's a pretty big statement. Yeah, I was going to say, can you unpack that a little bit? (laughs) You know what? I try to unpack that one constantly all the time myself. And sometimes I ask myself, I'm like, what the hell does that even mean? Right? (laughs) Um, But, um, you know, we can go into a lot of different things around, you know, the expansion of human consciousness. But when I think of that, I really start thinking about the idea of awareness. 
and personal mm. awareness, especially because if you're not aware, you're basically stuck, right? If you're unaware of how you're showing up in the world and, and what you're creating or how you're affecting other people, if you're, if you're just blind and oblivious and you don't really know what's going on, then you know, you're, you're stuck, right? But when you become aware, then you can start making changes to the things that aren't necessarily working so well in your life. And there, yeah. there's plenty of ways to increase your awareness. And a lot of times, uh, it could be as simple as uh, uh, having a really good friend who will be honest with you and tell it like it is, and not just dote to you and and and, and try to and be like a sycophant essentially, and just like being a yes man, agreeing to everything that you say. Someone who's really not afraid to tell you when when you're messing up, right? Because a lot of times we can't see our blind spots. That's why they are blind spots. We're, we'll be acting in a certain manner that is detrimental to us for some reason, and we can't see it. Right, yeah. but when you have someone else who you can really trust that can point it out to you in the right way, whatever that might be, the right way can be quite varying. Actually, there is such a thing as tough love. That's that's definitely true. Um, you know, that can be one method, and I think also adopting other introspective methods, like say utilizing meditation or mm. our business at Float House around sensory deprivation chambers is in my opinion, uh, one of the most efficient and enhanced ways of doing meditation because, again, when you're enclosed in a sensory deprivation tank or flotation tank, as they're more commonly called, there's, there's nothing really for you to grasp onto. Like, you open your eyes and it's just blackness. So it's like, okay, you start seeing inwardly and you start seeing into your own field of awareness. We can call it that. Like, everything that you experience, right? Every sensation, every emotion, every thought, every feeling, uh, even your vision, your hearing, everything pops up within your field of awareness. And that's, mm. you know, it's pretty, it's pretty vague, but it's also very all-encompassing. And it's like when you pay attention to that space, the things that you can actually notice, that's when you can start getting some, some more insights into what's going on in your life, right? And when you go into that float tank, again, it's like, you become pure awareness. I mean, yeah, you're going to feel your body, but I mean, when you, when you get really still and you settle into that flow experience, you are literally just going to start observing what's coming up inside of you and it's all coming up from you, everything, right? So that's one, another really powerful method to, to start generating awareness. Another a really great way to do it too is journaling and just writing. You know, writing really helps us organize our thoughts and helps us uh, organize our thinking. So sometimes you might just want to do stream of consciousness journaling where you're just writing out whatever happens to come to your mind and just following that and see where, I, see where it goes and, and then looking at that afterwards and be like, why did I have all these crazy thoughts? Um, or it could be developing ideas. If you have sort of an idea or a theory that you're working on, you know, you, you can write it out. It'll help you structure that theory or idea, which will help, again, um, guide your, your, your thoughts. And one thing I do as a personal practice, actually, is I do it on Instagram. I do it in a very public forum. So I'll, I'll, I'll practice writing just as an exercise to practice writing about an idea that I'm, I might be thinking about or a theory that I heard on a podcast or an audio book or something. And I'll kind of put my spin on it and piece it together. And I throw it up on my Instagram. And it's an interesting way to get feedback very quickly on what people think about what you're thinking. Right. Right. That's the thing where, you know, we'll, we will also, you know, we outsource the problem of how to behave in the world based on the feedback from other people. Right. I mean, in that forum, basically, people are going to comment or they're going to criticize it or whatever they're going to do. 
but at least you're going to get that feedback about what you're really thinking, right? Exactly. Um, and the other thing is too, when when you're when you're in a group setting, sometimes group um, you can call it therapy, I guess, um, can be really helpful because when you're when you're sharing, you're sharing a story, you're speaking, you're going to be in real time getting like the best feedback you're going to get from just watching other people within the group because they're going to be broadcasting signals to you constantly through their body language, through micro expressions in their face. They're going to be telling you what they think about what you're saying without even saying anything. So you're going to get direct feedback. And that's, again, another way to get that, that mirror and, and generate more of that awareness. So um, getting back to this idea of expansion of consciousness, I think you have to start with awareness. And then, well, where does that go? Right? That's the other question. And I think this is where, you know, some of the, the ideas from, say, religion and spirituality can really come into play. And I think thinking about some of the archetypal figures that are within spirituality or religion uh, can really help guide us morally, right? Because we also, you know, you want to have this awareness, but you also want to have a moral compass, a strong moral compass. Right. And this is why... I've sort of revamped, I think, my, my, my view of religions and their importance. Yes, there's a lot of things about them that people can get really upset about because of the past. However, uh, there are certain benefits to them as well. For example, the simplest one that comes to mind for me is creating the archetypes of, say, the devil in Christ. Right? You have these two archetypes, you know, one, one on each shoulder, right? and they help you guide your decision-making process. And you know, okay, this, this archetype of Christ is like the ideal. This is what you want to strive to be like. This is what you're moving towards. Will you ever get there? Who knows? Probably not. Maybe, maybe not. But, you know, that's what you're, you're aiming towards. And, you know, the archetype of, say, the devil or Satan, whatever you want to call it, is what you're, you want to move away from. And it's, it's very nicely mapped out. So it really helps you make a decision moment to moment, minute to minute, on an hourly, daily basis of what direction to head by, by just asking yourself, like, you know, is this going to take me closer to, say, Christ consciousness or move me away in the opposite direction? So I think you have to have this interplay between, say, awareness and having a strong moral compass. And I think that's why sort of outsourcing the problems of, let's say, morality and how to behave in a, a socially acceptable way, religion can play a really important role in that. Now, it almost seems as though that idea of awareness and growth and personal uh, expansion is almost retrofitted. And what I mean by that is you start with the assumption that you want to improve and that you want to better yourself. And then you go back and say, and religion fits into this, but you never hear it the other way around, or at least in my experience, I've never heard from church, uh, you know, you start with the religious framework and you can then better yourself. It's almost looked at as a worldly thing, something that doesn't align with religion. Why do you think that there's that disconnect? Well, you know, again, we talked about a little bit this about before about how I did that interview with London Real, and I talked about this how I felt as though, let's just say, we use the church as an example, that they would, in a sense, hold the keys to your salvation. Hmm. And I think that, you know, the human ego is a sneaky, sneaky thing. And I think that when somebody is given, say, that sort of authority over people's lives, it can be quite intoxicating. 
um, you know, you got to ask yourself the question, like why these people, a lot of times they'll say they're called to it, but why do they really want to be, you know, a priest up in front of people preaching what people should live like? And I think that people are very susceptible to, to influence and undue influence, especially when, say, you're raised in an environment in any kind of church. I think that it's difficult, it can be difficult for people to, to break out of that. And I think, again, there's a lot of metaphorical truth within any religion, but I also think that there are true, there, there's lessons and things that are taught that shouldn't be taken literally. And I think that um, the disconnect probably comes from the people who 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 run it, uh, because again, they're, they're human beings and they they're valuable and they want to um, influence. And maybe they think they're they're doing a good thing, and maybe they are doing a good thing. But I think that again, they don't want to say let you know that you could potentially find your your own salvation outside of that framework. So. You know, if you're going to say some of the Eastern philosophies, I mean, even if you go into like yogic traditions or the uh, or Buddhism or the Tao, I mean, you start playing with like sort of a, a dogmatic uh, religious schema that that again, if, if you if you if you get trapped in that, it, it can become restrictive, right? Sure. But um, I think if you take what's good, and this is what I've really been focusing on doing lately, is Okay, what, what can I take that's really great from, say, the Eastern religions and philosophies, and what can I take from the Western philosophies? Because both have their value, and both have truths on different levels. And I think that if you can extract what's good out of both of them and sort of combine those, you know, I, I had this wacky theory, and maybe I could be completely wrong about this, but I feel like we're in the midst of, say, finding almost a new... Um, world religion or spirituality or something like that. And I think it's a combination between, say, Eastern and Western religions and philosophies. So, yeah. um, and we're, I think it, what, what happened, you know, back in the day, back in tribal society, is that all these different tribes would have their own gods. And then these tribes would come in contact with each other. And then eventually there'd be some turmoil. Well, whose god is the better god? And then they'd eventually maybe merge and create a new god or uh one god might be be superior in some sort of virtue which makes you know worshiping that god um uh, more advantageous for that tribe so they adopt those those ways of living because they happen to be better uh for say thriving as a human being um and now i think what we're seeing is we're seeing like the last great merging of say and you can do it in very broad terms of eastern and western philosophy or religions and spirituality and now we're seeing like direct clashes from like you might not even call it clashes but it's just like we're seeing emerging like right right from in canada it's, it's, it's just quite the the melting pot of experience like people do maintain their own identities identities here but you know, when you go walk down to Vancouver, there's churches everywhere, yet there's yoga studios everywhere. And we're seeing all of this sort of merging of different philosophies happening. And it's like, okay, well, that is happening. There's truths in both ideas and philosophies. Now, what can we extract from that, which is like the ultimate belief system, if you will? And I think a lot of that, again, comes back to this idea of uh, working on yourself and, and improving yourself as an individual as much as you can. Um, and then potentially, you know, we need someone to, to map that out. And there's lots of people who are in self-help genres that are attempting to do this. 
uh, like Jordan Peterson does a really good job of this kind of thing, which with 12 rules for life, you know, mm-hmm. he's definitely very heavily influenced by Christianity, but he also dives into the Eastern religions and, and philosophies as well. So, um, again, I think that, um, we want to take what works from it all and try not to get stuck in, in, in the dogmas that can be sort of potentially limited, you know, in that yeah. now you always have to go and you have to get your salvation, say, from the church or from the yoga studio even or from your meditation guru or what, whatever it happens to be. When really, you know, that, that, that power is inside of every single person. You know, everything that that's in every human being, I believe that. So, you know, you can tap that into that within yourself and, and nobody necessarily has to tell you what to do or how to act. Um, however, it is useful for it to have those, those moral compasses, I think. Right. Now, a word you had just mentioned was work. Uh, it is a ton of work involved when you're trying to build the best version of yourself, when you're trying to expand your mind. Um, when you're, when you're trying to, to just educate yourself, I think, uh, and yet there's a lot of people who just choose to remain the way that they are. Why do you think, uh, that people choose that over improving? I think there's two big reasons. I think the first and most obvious one to me is that they're very comfortable. They're too comfortable, right? When things are kind of going well for you and you know you have your your most of your needs met and you're not really struggling and there's you know not a lot of problems within your life well you know you're you're doing all right so i think people kind of can get lulled in lulled to sleep and they get into their routines of their jobs and whatever they do on the weekends and and they and they get stuck in these habitual patterns and they can, of course, get locked into those things out of fear, out of fear of losing, say, their income or their peer group or whatever it happens to be, which keeps people uh, limited. So I think the first one is this idea of, again, just being comfortable and, and being okay with, with what is. And the second part of that is, like you mentioned, it, it is work. It, it is an effort. And, and, and not to mention, a lot of times it's going to be painful and uncomfortable. There's no doubt about it. When, when, when you start looking at your life and looking at the things that aren't working, um, you have to start diving into yourself and be like, well, how am I acting or behaving or not acting and behaving that is contributing to that, right? Yeah. And I was like, I'm not going to say that the onus is 100% on the individual because, man, things, bad things happen to people all the time which are out of their control. And yes, that happens. And it's going to happen to everybody. But at the same time, it's like, you, I really don't believe you should fall into a victim mentality. I think that's one of the worst places to be. And again, um, we've, again, we've all had our different struggles and people have varying degrees of struggles and people might have more of that victim sort of mentality to overcome, but staying out of that mindset, because when you, when you're, when you're a victim, it's very easy just to, to fall back on, on that and say, Oh, well, the reason, I, I'm not X, Y, or Z, or not being, or living the life that I want, let's just say that, is because of what happened to me, right? And it's so easy to use those, those things as excuses um, yeah. and, and, and not work your way through them. So again, to answer your question why they don't, I think it's simply because, A, uh, they're not uncomfortable enough, 
and B, they don't necessarily want to put in like the work it takes to change. Now, if somebody was interested in learning more about putting in the work, uh, deeper spiritual awareness, just a, a greater grasp upon yourself, are there any materials that you would recommend that they start out with? Yep. I would start off with Eckhart Tolle, Power of Now, for sure, because I think that one is a great way to introduce you to, say, some of the mindfulness and meditation practices uh, in, a, in a very non-dogmatic way. We'll just say that okay. he, he talks about the power of living in the present moment and connecting with yourself through breath. And there's some pretty undeniable truths in that book. And I think that's a great one to sort of grasp these sort of, let's just say, the Eastern side of religion and spirituality without necessarily diving into the deities of those traditions. So that's a great way to connect to that. And again, I think on... The, let's say if I was going to take one from the Western philosophy, I would definitely pick Jordan Peterson's 12 Rules for Life. Um, and if you want to go a little bit further down that, I would, I would read his book, Maps of Meaning, which I'm currently in the process of doing. And it is really challenging to read. I'm not going to lie. There's a lot of words in there that I have to literally look up while, while I'm reading. Um, <laughs> But uh, it's, and it's very complex, and you, like you have, you'll have to read a sentence, and then you're going to have to think about that sentence and be like, okay, what does that mean right, when you read that book? But yeah. um, I do think it, it sort of gives you the positive, most positive aspects of, say, the Western uh, philosophies. So I think those two are great places to start. That's awesome. Thanks. And uh, as we kind of bring our time to a close, Andy, uh, I love your thoughts, and I, I love the insights that you're sharing. Uh, and there is an organization and an institution of the church that I feel at times is just unaware of some of the things that you were bringing up. What would you say to a, a church, maybe the church, maybe something we need to either start or stop doing so that we could move together forward with this issue? I, I, would, I would say two things. And here's the thing. I, I, I'm, I'm kind of out of the business of bashing religion. I don't do that anymore. I don't like it. I don't think it's a good thing to do. But I do think that they need to do some updating of maybe their belief systems and especially some of the, um, the, the literal interpretations that some, some, some of the teachings say, right? Mm. I think, you know, being inclusive to everybody, depend you know, despite what background they are, what sexual orientation they happen to be, um, <clears throat> or even different religious beliefs, I feel like you know, becoming more inclusive is, is really important for them to to because there is, like I said, there's a lot of uh, good ideas in there, but it's like now you can't you can't create that out group, right? And that, and that's right. part of the danger, I think, is when you you know. It's, it's, it's uh, a catch-22, right? Because having that centralized belief system that you get from a church, what it does, who are people who belong to that religion, is create trust amongst the individuals. So, for example, if like, you're a practicing Christian, whatever church happens to be, you go to a new town, you can go to that church, and now you're, you're, you're sort of plugged into community like, immediately. And then that right. shared belief system makes it easier for people to trust one another, right? But the danger about it is that now it's like if people don't believe the same things, now uh, it, it becomes easy to 
to even like to well de- dehumanize them potentially and not listen to them. So I think I think that that's probably more than one point. But um, taking a look at those examples and and realizing that you know I would go back into the history of say some of the things that have been done in the name of different religions and and and, and realize that like that's you know that's something that needs to be looked at and for example in british columbia where we live you know there were these things called the the residential school system and it was run by i believe it's run by catholics i, I don't want to again christians um but these places were were where you know native uh born uh first nations people children would be sent and uh, they were horrific, and they were a lot of abuse happened there. Um, there's this one story about this young uh, Métis girl that was uh, in one of these residential schools, and, and she spoke uh, her native language. Hmm. And a nun actually heard her speak it. They weren't allowed to speak their native language within the school. And she pulled her tongue out of her mouth, and then she stuck a pin through her tongue. And this is a four-year-old girl. And wow. so she had to sit there in class with blood running down her mouth with a pin stuck through her tongue because she spoke a word of her native language, right? And I think that right there sort of highlights the potential dangers of, of thinking that, you know, what your belief systems are are the end-all, be-all. And if you don't fall into that, then, you know, for some reason you're bad. So I yeah. think looking at some of the history or, or, or look, you know, what's happened around the world through, you know, in the process of colonization, as well with say the expunging of like any any sort of uh you know it started with like pagan traditions all the way through you know south america to like the shamanistic practices they would have down there to the to the first nations and north american uh spiritual religions that were or spiritual <clears throat> philosophies that that were embedded here within the first nations people like they were basically like expunged right and uh and i think knowing some of that history and realizing that you know, that that's why some people might actually have a lot of negativity uh, towards the church uh, is because of some of that history. So I think those are the things that people who are currently in the church should think about and look at. That's great insight, Andy. Thank you. Uh, and thank you for being on the show. Where can people find you online? Uh, maybe something from culture you're digging right now. How can people connect with you? Yeah, totally. Um, my my Instagram is basically my main social media platform. I, I don't I, I don't even post as much as I'd like to on there just because I'm too busy. But it's just Andy Zaremba on Instagram. Um, my various websites are andyzaremba.com, which is sort of a central hub to all my things. Our business is floathouse.ca. And our podcast is VancouverReal.tv. So, and of course, there's Mantox.com, which is uh, I'm affiliated with as well. And we're going to list all of that within the show notes. But Andy, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you, Joel. Really appreciate it. That wraps up this episode of The Dismantle. Thank you so much for listening. We'd love to hear your thoughts on the episode, your experience, and ways we can continue to create community. Visit the website at dismantlepod.com. And until next time, don't complain about the things you're not willing to change. You've been listening to The Dismantle, creating community, not converts. Visit us at dismantlepod.com.